It's Friday, and all across the state of Nebraska, down in Kansas, we've got parts of Colorado, South Dakota, Iowa, all covered under the giant footprint of the Rural Radio Network. And this is the Midday Program, and welcome to it. Junk Junk Day, it's a big day in central Nebraska, all down Highway 2, so if you're out there and enjoying all the, I won't call it junk, enjoying the bargains, uh, <laughs> make sure that you do that safely, keep yourself hydrated today. I'm Dirk Christensen, and right over here we have Susan Littlefield. What are you doing behind a microphone here? I'm enjoying it today. Wonderful. Brought you guys donuts. Yes, you did. Never Thank done you. the Junk Junk. Uh-huh. There's a lot of stuff. That's what I hear. Yeah, a I, lot of stuff. I see. I hear that people bring trailers yeah. to go to the Junk John. They do. It's, That's it's, crazy. Yeah, it has to be seen to be believed. That's okay. I'd rather be here with you guys. Okay. <laughs> and here we have our ag headline, Susan. Anthrax has now been reported in North Dakota, confirmed in a herd yesterday. We'll talk more over the new hour about child deaths on farms have dropped, but still they say too high. And hurricane damages help uh, continues to come to Texas. Coming up at 1217, Shaley Peters will have our state climatologist, Al Dutch, I'm sure he'll be talking about these lovely warm fall temperatures we're dealing with. At 12.45, the NRD and the NRCS help me to take unproductive farm ground. I'll be talking with folks on ways they're making it profitable for grazing and for wildlife. And then at 1.17, we're going to head to the western part of the state for Fridays in the Field. Chabella Guzman bringing us up to date on crops out by Scott's Bluff. Should be fun. Thank you very much. Yep. And over to Jason we go. Find out what's going on in sports for today. Too bad nothing happened in Lincoln yesterday afternoon at about 2.30. <laughs> Gee, did something happen? Yeah. Something happened that uh, I don't think it surprised a lot of folks, but maybe it surprised people with how quickly it came. It really blindsided, I think, just about everybody. And uh, Mike Riley was one of those who was blindsided. He had to talk about that yesterday after practice. We will get his thoughts about that. Of course, uh, a lot of dynamics in the air this weekend for homecoming in Lincoln as Nebraska takes on Rutgers at 2.30. Big game tomorrow night at Iowa City as the Hawkeyes will take on Penn State. Did you know last four night home games for the Hawkeyes, they are 4-0, and including an upset last year of second-ranked Michigan. Whoa. So if you are Penn State, who's in the top five right now, they have to be an upset watch. You've got to be afraid of the lights. Yeah, with, with the Hawkeyes, the Hawkeye, the Hawkeye magic. And Big Ten volleyball action starts tonight for the Lady Huskers. They have a tough one. Uh, they're on the road at Old Nemesis, Penn State. Uh, they're 10-0, and 0, ranked second in the country. And, oh, by the way, they haven't lost since last December to oh, Nebraska. Yeah. So that's how it starts out okay. for the Huskers. That's a grudgy thing. Also, uh... Cleveland Indians, they lost last week. Since then, they haven't lost again. 27 of 28. No team has done that since 1884. No kidding. Wow. And they start the series at Seattle. All right, more on sports coming up. Now, Bob, with the business. Well, there's a uh, few things going on. Probably, uh, as far as the junk, John, is concerned, you can stop by my garage. <laughs> there's uh, plenty of junk, John, stuff. There. Mm-hmm. Stocks are wobbling as tech and health care stocks slip, so they're a little bit lower in midday training. J.C. Penney plans to hire 40000 for the holidays, about the same as last year, so they're not necessarily more optimistic or less optimistic, just 
I guess, just optimistic. <laughs> anyway, those are some of the things going on today. All right. I, I, I don't mean to say that, you know, the low-cost stuff at Bob's Garage is there for the taking, but he may pay you to take it away. I may. It's all today on Midday. Time to check some ag weather, and it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul Perkins, I don't know, but I think last night's low <laughs> would be generally a pretty respectable high for this time of year. Yeah, and actually probably a bit above normal for this time of year, yeah. <laughs> well, last night, it just Especially felt like walking into a vaporizer about 11 to midnight last night. Yeah, that humidity started to roll in and then helped to keep the temperatures on the warm side in the overnight, and also the winds helping to uh, keep those temperatures up in the overnight across the area. So. And also got some... Uh, some record-setting action yesterday in Kansas, huh? Yes, uh, they had the nation's high in Kansas yesterday. If you look at all the national feeds, you're going to see 101 is the nation's high at Dodge City, but it also hit 101 in Hayes, Hill City, and also at Russell, and also in addition, Dodge City, Phillipsburg, and Salina hit 100, but the actual true hot spot in the nation yesterday listen up folks here it is the official krvm nation's high yesterday and this is a co-op weather observer from uh, with the hastings weather service but alton kansas made it up to 102 yesterday there you go in central kansas they're in between stockton and osborne there gold medal performance alton <laughs> way to go but yeah and a lot of us here in southwest and south central nebraska had some Upper 90s and temperatures up to around 100. It did hit up to 100 yesterday at McCook, but it probably didn't feel like the mid to upper 90s, and that's because of the low humidity. It was in the mid to upper 90s, but due to the low humidity, it was a dry heat, so it actually only felt like it was about 90 degrees yesterday. A unique record was set this morning in central Nebraska. The old record warm low for the date was about 65 to 67 in central Nebraska. And we only cooled off to 75 this morning. It is a very warm morning. Wow. Yeah. But we will see continue, uh, continue to see some hot and windy conditions today. It's all thanks to an area of low pressure off to our west that continues to strengthen. That higher humidity will result in lower fire danger for today, but still up near critical levels for a bit from along and west of a line from Lexington down to Stockton and Kansas. Scattered thunderstorms are possible later this afternoon along and west of a line from Greeley to Cambridge to northwest Kansas. A few of these storms may be severe, but not expecting a big severe outbreak with this system starting to move through. Thunderstorms will be possible tonight across west and central Nebraska. Also northwest Kansas, the more likely chance looks to be towards northern Nebraska. This area of low pressure slowly moves to the east for tomorrow into Monday. Clouds will increase in coverage for tomorrow, and those thunderstorm chances really stepping up, especially by the afternoon. Widespread rain is expected for tomorrow night on into Monday. Sunday looking pretty wet. Rain totals of 2 to 4 inches are likely in central Nebraska and western Kansas. Totals will be lower elsewhere, but everybody looking at a pretty good shot of some rain and dirt. With this system, just to show you how strong it is, in advance of it, we're seeing these hot conditions, but on the backside, in like Sierra Nevada, they had snow, and that's about a month early for the snow oh to arrive heavens, there. Yeah, in those higher here. elevations. Yeah. In the long term, our temperatures start to moderate back to seasonal to cooler than normal for Nebraska and Kansas Wednesday through the first five days of October. 
there is a good likelihood that there will be below normal rainfall for Nebraska Wednesday through October 5th, which will start to help out with the harvest efforts. The rain forecast for Kansas, it starts out with lingering rain chances the middle of next week, but also trends to below normal rainfall late next week through the 5th. The weather factors driving the market trade include a mixed rain forecast for the central U.S. this next week and further dry conditions in central Brazil. A cold front continues to advance east across the Rockies and High Plains. Along with this area of low pressure, that's the divider between the warm weather in the eastern half of the U.S. and those chilly conditions as you head farther west. During the weekend, that moisture will develop along an axis stretching from the southern high plains on into the upper Midwest. And we could see five-day rain totals reach about two to five inches from eastern New Mexico and western Texas on into Minnesota. Now, early next week, cool air will shift eastward across the plains. Little or no rain will fall the next five days across the eastern U.S., the rain the next five days expected to disrupt harvest in the western Midwest, while a drier pattern will help out the harvest in the eastern Midwest. For the northern plains, the upcoming rain disrupting harvest, but also easing the extreme drought conditions. There are no signs also in the northern plains of any damaging cold weather in the next week. The southern plains will continue to see beneficial rain the next seven days for newly planted wheat. The Delta's harvest weather continues to be favorable this next week with dry conditions. In the next week in the Canadian prairies, also no significant harvest concerns. Dry conditions in central Brazil holding up to soybean planting. Rain is really needed in northern Mato Grosso, and only a few light showers are expected the next seven days. Ag weather with Paul brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. And, uh, gosh, we're going to probably make 90 degrees by noon here in a lot of places. Yeah, unbelievable. Right now, a lot of places, especially in the central and east part of Nebraska and Kansas, upper 80s currently. Wow. <laughs> and uh, if we get any uh, severe weather, of course, we'll, uh, it, we're expecting that to be pretty spotty, right? Yeah, not expecting to make a severe outbreak because by the time it starts rolling through tomorrow, Tomorrow, things will be a little bit calmer with this system. All right. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Good afternoon. As we take a look at the agricultural news, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. North Dakota has its first confirmed case of livestock anthrax this year. The state veterinarian Susan Keller says the case is in a Sioux County cattle herd that was confirmed yesterday. Anthrax bacteria spores lie dormant in the soil and become active under extreme weather conditions such as drought or flooding. Now, much of North Dakota has experienced drought this summer. A few anthrax cases are reported in North Dakota almost every year. They've been most frequently reported in the northeast, southeast, and south-central parts of the state. Keller says ranchers should take action to protect their livestock. Vaccines are effective, but it takes about a week for immunity to be established in the cattle. Most of the accident deaths of young people on farms involve tractors. Marsha Salswell is an ag youth safety expert with the National Farm Medicine Center, and she gives two things farm parents can do to cut the risk of their young children being hurt or worse, being killed while on the farm. Keep children off of tractors. Keep young children out of the farm work site. So many children we see reports with kids that are backed over by skid steers and and run over by tractors and, and they have gates that fall over them in a barn. And if they just simply weren't in that work site, it would be much safer for the children because none of those things could happen. It would also be safer for the adult as well because children in the work site actually function as a distraction for a working adult. And so they actually increase the danger to the adult too when children are there. 
Salzweil says that we've started to see a drop in fatalities in youth, in part because of the safety measures of the implement industry. And parents who grew up wearing seatbelts are more safety conscious. But still, she says, about every three days a youth dies in a farm-related incident. USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue is in Texas for the next two days and joined by House Ag Chairman Mike Conaway, holding a roundtable with producers in El Campo and southwest of Houston. He also will be visiting a Houston food bank. Cotton growers are expected to discuss the need for another round of ginning cost share payments. Purdue will meet with the CEO of a cotton cooperative in the region as well as a board member of the Texas Farm Bureau, Bob Reed. Now, today he's headed to the West Texas with Conaway. He also will speak to members of the Southwest Council of Agribusiness. David McLennan is the CEO of Cargill, the number two beef player in the U.S., told Fox Business consumers are just plain tired of chicken. He says our beef business in the U.S. is growing. People are eating more beef, and I think that they're rotating now out of chicken. And now he also said that fish is also becoming more popular as the world is going to eat more fish with salmon, more shrimp, more tilapia. So we're going to have significant fish feed business in Cargill as well. The North American Free Trade Agreement, when acted on in 1994, created the world's largest free trade area, encompassing 450 million people and a gross domestic product of more than $20 trillion. Now, progress is trade in the jeopardy as trade officials from the member countries in the United States, Canada, and Mexico are negotiating the trade on the table and now headed into the third round of discussions. During his campaign, President Trump had threatened that the United States would pull out of NAFTA altogether. Negotiators had those two rounds. They've headed now to begin in Canada. And according to a Reuters article, NAFTA trade accounts for 39% of Canada's GDP, 49% for Mexico, but just 5% in the case of the United States. Both Canada and Mexico sell more than three-quarters of their exported goods to the United States. The 23-year-old trade deal encompasses agriculture and industrial goods to intellectual property and environmental regulations. Always check out more news at ruralradio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's time again this week to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And Al, looking back across this week, feeling a lot more like summer than fall. Today's the first official day of fall, marking an end to our summer here. Can we expect these high temps headed into the weekend and next week, or what are we looking at? Well, I think the big news is the expectations of this fairly significant upper air trough to slowly grind its way eastward out of the northern central Rockies and pivot toward the Great Lakes region. So in advance of that, very warm air being pulled northward, both in the southwestern United States and the southern plains. Uh, that also means that with the system slowly progresses toward Nebraska, the deep fetch of moisture will be available well in advance of the front and and behind that front with the cooler air, we're going to see a lot of what we call an overrunning event, moisture lifted up over top of the front and creating widespread uh, stratiform precipitation with an occasional uh, thunderstorm moving through the region. That being said, the question is on the timing of the event. And through this afternoon, there is some expectations of some widely scattered thunderstorm activity, most likely going to impact the western one-third of the state, and then we see a much more robust chance as we go through tomorrow, especially over the western one-third of the state. Quantitative precipitation outlook for the 24-hour period, basically painting anywhere from one to two inches for a wide expanse of the eastern panhandle of Nebraska, uh, eastward through about Lexington, and then north and south from the 
Kansas border to the South Dakota border. We may see some of that precipitation shift into uh, north central, northeast Nebraska as we go into Saturday night, Sunday, and then that filling in pretty much through the center part of the state as we go through the day on Sunday, pivoting into eastern Nebraska Sunday afternoon, and that holds on all the way through Tuesday midday in eastern Nebraska with some scattered shower and lighter precipitation amounts in store for uh, western Nebraska and central Nebraska. Overall, it looks like some areas in the center part of the state may receive anywhere from two to four inches with some isolated heavier totals. This isn't all going to come at once. It's going to come over an extended 48-hour period in most locations, so flooding probably won't be a major issue. There might be some localized uh, flooding, but widespread flooding, not an issue. We have a lot of dry ground. It's going to come over at a slow pace, so we should be able to absorb most of that. be excellent for those folks that have not progressed on to wheat planting because after this system passes, we're going to see some cool air move in for a few days next week. Some scattered frost possible as we get in the northern panhandle, northwestern Sandhills Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning. We see lows basically in the cool 40s for the remainder of the state and then a warming trend continues with very dry weather uh, instituted by the models all the way through about the first full week of October before we see yet another very strong system entering the Pacific Northwest that looks like it's going to pull some freezing temperatures into the region as we get into that period from the 7th to the 15th. And I wouldn't be surprised that this will be a season-ending freeze for the northern plains and probably portions of Nebraska based on the amount of cold air behind it. That's a couple of weeks out. But overall, it should be good harvest activity weather once we get past this rain event, very dry conditions, and also good weather for those producers that need to get their wheat in the ground with the cooler conditions returning to our region before we start to see above normal temperatures come back in late next weekend and the following full week. All right, thanks so much, Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. For more, you can always visit RuralRadio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Jerk. Well, it figures to be an interesting homecoming weekend in Lincoln after the Huskers fired athletic director Sean Eichhorst, citing his failure to improve on-field performance. Eichhorst joined Nebraska in October of 2012 and had about $1.7 million remaining on a contract that runs for 2019. Eichhorst and football coach Mike Riley have been under increased scrutiny with the continued mediocrity of the program. That was Eichhorst who hired Riley in 2014, and Riley says he was shocked when he learned the news. I was taken back, surprised, uh, and, uh, you know, I was probably flat out uh, saddened by the whole deal. I, I really, really enjoyed working with Sean. Besides being a good man, I think, I think he had everybody's... Uh, best interest at heart. Riley's lost six of his last nine after opening up 7-0 a year ago. Kickoff time tomorrow against Rutgers is set for 2.30. Two undefeated square off in Iowa City tomorrow night as the Hawkeyes host Penn State. Iowa coach Kirk Ferentz says these type of games are always fun. Kenick's always been a great home field and a great stadium and uh, when, you, when you play night games uh, it's just it's, it's really special. I think the first one here was 92 I believe it was uh, I was coaching at Maine at that time but uh, they played Miami, and I know that was a real big event to play a night game. And uh, I think we've had 13, at least the ones I've been involved with. It's always very, very electric in there. Overall, Iowa has won four straight night home games, including an upset of then second-ranked Michigan a year ago. 
The Nebraska volleyball team opens up Big Ten Conference action tonight at second-ranked Penn State. That match will be televised on BTN. Nebraska is 7-3, while Penn State is 10-0. and They haven't lost since losing to the Huskers last year in December in the regional finals of the NCAA tournament. The Huskers will then travel New Brunswick, New Jersey to take on Rutgers on Saturday night. Los Angeles can clinch its fifth straight NL West title with either a win at Dodger Stadium over San Francisco or a loss by second-place Arizona to Miami. The Dodgers still own the best record in the majors in the race for home field advantage despite the fact they've had a terrible September. And the record-setting Indians have more history in their sights as they open up a series at Seattle. Cleveland has won 27 of 28, a first in the majors since 1884. The Indians have reeled off five straight victories since ending a 22-game winning streak when they were knocked off last Friday night at home by the Royals. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Partly cloudy skies to Nebraska tonight with a chance of thunderstorms in the north. I'm Dave Schroeder with a check of news. A spokeswoman says former Republican presidential candidate and U.S. Senate Majority Leader Bob Dole has been hospitalized since last week for low blood pressure. Dole spokeswoman Marion Watkins said in an email that the 94-year-old former Kansas senator has been hospitalized since September 13th at the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center outside Washington, D.C. Dole tweeted that he hopes to be home in a few days sipping a Cosmo. A group of Central Nebraska students are rallying against bullying in the wake of a lawsuit alleging that other students harassed and urinated on two middle school students in a locker room. Students had gathered outside Central City Middle School yesterday afternoon. Noah Snyder, a senior at Central City High School, said she was outraged to learn about the allegations. She says the group wants to start a conversation about bullying and she fears that teachers might not be equipped to detect bullying in its many different forms. School officials have said they can't discuss the case because of the pending lawsuit. Governor Pete Ricketts has appointed a Scotts Bluff attorney to fill a Western Nebraska district judgeship left vacant by the retiring of longtime district judge Randall Lipstrew earlier this year. Andrea Miller of Baird has been named the new district judge for the 12th Judicial District. Miller is currently an attorney at Simmons Olson Law Firm in Scouts Bluff. She holds a degree in political science from the University of Nebraska at Kearney and received her law degree from the University of Nebraska. The driver in a crash that killed a 15-year-old Nebraska girl is set to be sentenced November 8th after pleading no contest to manslaughter. 23-year-old Angel Lopez entered his plea in Colfax County District Court as part of a plea deal with prosecutors. Authorities say Lopez was driving a Honda Accord that slammed into a tree at around 11 p.m. on June 15, 2016. A passenger, Isabella Brandt, was killed in the crash. A 15-year-old boy in the car was injured. Authorities say the car crashed while fleeing from a Schuyler police officer. Lopez allegedly told an emergency room nurse that he had consumed roughly 10 beers that night, and an officer found a half-empty tequila bottle in the vehicle. Replay the game, interview, or feature you miss by catching a podcast from the front page of krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
You know the saying, it takes a village to raise a child? Well, in agriculture, it needs a village as well. And we had the opportunity to see that firsthand on Wednesday with Divots in the Pivots. A variety of different entities all coming together to help out agriculture and take some unproductive cropland into a more productive sense of wildlife opportunities. It's a regional conservation partnership program. NRCS was one of the entities that partnered together with the NRD. Myron Taylor is the acting director for the NRCS in Nebraska. Well, RCPP was a... Um it was a program that came out of the 2014 Farm Bill. Um, it was a new idea and a new way of doing conservation, of getting more partners involved in the actual conservation that's going on the ground. You know, getting those people that actually have a close interest in the land, getting them more involved with these projects. So, you know, and this this is the most rewarding part of it is actually being able to see the the benefits of the dollars that are being expended. Um, this is something that um, just uh, numbers and acres and reports really can't tell the full story of the value and the impact that um, you know locally led conservation has on the landscape. Well it's like um, anything I think in life um, being able to have people that can bring different um, thoughts and ideas and contributions to a table to um, really bring a um, project like this to um, full fruition. The thing that um, we really want to stress is that um, there's not one thing or one size that's going to fit every site. Um, not one practice is going to be um, the be-all and end-all to fix every problem. And oftentimes it takes a mix of conservation measures and practices to really make an impact on a land. I would say just have an open mind and look and be able to look past just um, production, different things like that. Imagine, if you will, the opportunity to take unproductive farmland and turn it into something profitable for wildlife and an opportunity to graze as well. Well, that's what happened with Gail Marsh. He is part of what they're calling Divots on the Pivots. We're standing in Hamilton County, uh, 7th and B Road. Uh, we've turned this into a wetland project uh, for grazing and got it out of crop production. Uh, fifth generation farming this ground and do not have to worry about flood prone crops anymore. The land needed to do something other than crops because it was just more than likely going to be a failure. It flood out and this project came along to where pivots can roll through them now and that was the main thing. The ability to have your pivot continue in a circle instead of um, having a windshield wiper it. It was real easy, just don't farm it. <laughs> it. It took care of itself. I know the NRCS was out and uh, made, took some silt out and filled a uh, retention pond that governments put in back in the 60s and 70s. Um, other than that, we sowed some grass and some broadleaf wildflowers and she just took off on its own. Pheasants, quite a few, and ducks. And obviously as, as fall gets here and you're out on your combine, maybe you'll have the opportunity to see even more. Possibly. Um, you hear them roosting all the time. They have guidelines that you have to follow, but they help you right through the process. Andy Bishop is with the Rainwater Basin Joint Venture. He talked to me about the importance of what he'd like to see move statewide. Well, the Rainwater Basin Joint Venture is a public-private partnership, and what we've found is that 
everyone has different goals and objectives and by coming together we can get more done than any single entity can do and today's a prime example of that we've got our corporate partners crop metrics lindsay reinke and valley we will have representatives here today they've all committed a hundred thousand dollars to help implement this regional conservation partnership program we also have ducks unlimited who secured a million dollar grant from the u.s fish and wildlife services north american wetland conservation act and then the Nebraska Association of Resources District acquired a $625,000 grant from the Nebraska Environmental Trust that will all be leveraged to help implement uh, the whole field solutions that this, this RCPP, or Regional Conservation Partnership Program, will implement. So a lot of our wetlands are embedded in pivot irrigated agricultural fields. And in the past, some of our conservation programs weren't as flexible as they needed to be. So producers couldn't cross the wetlands if they enrolled them into a conservation program with their pivot. So we worked with NRCS to get a reserved water right where the pivot can cross the wetland and then identified that to maximize the profitability for producers because that really drives a lot of decisions. We could do whole field solutions that would allow us to maximize irrigation input on the adjacent croplands as well as transition the wetlands not just to habitat but to grazing lands. So it's we look at integrating the wetlands so that they're value added so the producers don't feel that they've just enrolled in a program but they've been able to transition those flood prone, flood prone cropland acres into a, a viable economic alternative that both meets their operation goals but also provides the habitat for the millions of migratory waterfowl that stop in this region every year. The Regional Conservation Partnership Program brings together a wide array of local and national partners. If you'd like to find out more information as you look towards 2019 as 2018 has closed for the full proposals, you can contact your local NRCS or your local NRD office for further information. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities unavailable today. Live cattle futures were well supported today to evidence of greater packer spending in the country. And it was a surprise to many. They thought maybe the packer inquiry would uh, pick up after the cattle on feed report, which is out in less than an hour. But there was some technical buying support. Most contracts were highest in the front months, up a dollar twenty-two to a dollar forty-seven, and for the most part, the feeder issues were at least moderately higher, and they were feeding off, of course, the firm undertone in live cattle. Moderate trade development happened this morning in the southern tier of cattle feeding countries. Most live sales at one hundred eight, which was two dollars higher than last week's business. Not enough generated traffic yet in the north to warrant a trade. Meanwhile, lean hog trade experienced a tough week, sagging lower almost every day thanks to nonstop erosion of cash prices and carcass values. Once again, the nearby issues were bearing most of the bearish burden as we were down to the lowest levels of this year. In fact, triple-digit losses in October and December lean hogs. Let's take a look at total cattle slaughter through Saturday this week. It's been estimated at 637,000, and that would be 5,000 less than last week. However, compared with a year ago, it would be 41,000 more. Hog slaughter projected through Saturday at 2,501,000. That's a big number. 71,000 more than last week, and 40,000 more than one year ago. Dewey Nelson reporting. 
Welcome to Fridays in the Field, a weekly discussion with ag producers across the state. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Harvest across Nebraska is upon us, and Jeff Pohl in Bridgeport has been harvesting a variety of crops since earlier this month. I caught up with him out in his dry edible bean field to chat about some prepping he is doing for the bean harvest. Jeff, I understand you will be spraying the weeds in the field here. Can you tell us more on that? The rule will come in and kill them more or less. The big reason would be to uh, the weeds. Uh, kill all the weeds and get the weeds dead so that we can run them through the combine to get everything dried down, dead, and so it's dry matter so it goes to the combine. Uh, the green pods and leaves and vines too so that everything dead and so it's dry then it'll sift out or sort out in the combine. Paul has been testing the direct harvest bean variety Draco which are harvested in one pass rather than the traditional way where they are cut, windrowed, dried, and then harvested. Jeff, can you tell us more on what you're expecting from the dry bean harvest? Actually, the direct harvest beans, I'm new to this. Uh, this is the first year I'm trying this, to be honest. The plus is, is I don't have to cut and rot them, lay them on the ground. And then we get some damp weather like we've been having recently. There won't be no moisture damage or problems like that of getting them picked back up. These are, these are standing, so they're relatively, the moisture rain isn't hurting them until we get to them. Once we lay them on the ground, the other kind, once we lay them on the ground, the moisture gets on them and they can moisture damage the bean and ruin the beans or they become a problem picking them back up. So I'd rather, this way is probably a lot easier on us as far as labor. We don't have to cut and rot them. On the other hand, the yield's got to be the same. So we're, I'm trying this kind of the first year. We're hoping that the, we can get the same yield out of these stand-up varieties versus the uh, other beans that lay down more. So, Jeff, you said you are killing the weeds. Are there any weeds this time of year which can be problematic for the beans? This time of year in the bean crop, these got a few weeds in them. ain't overly bad. The ones we really worry about is, if you can see it, is these berries. And late in the year, especially this time of year, they grow real fast. And these berries right here, if you can see them, they grow, and then they end up with the beans. And they'll, they'll crush, and as they crush, they, they're wet, and it's like almost like glue to the beans. And so the glue to the, the, the beaneries don't want them because it, it turns the beans, the, the dirt sticks to them, and they, they're not white anymore. And they can't clean them. And then also, as a, as a combine operator, they'll, they'll physically stop a combine, the augers and stuff like that. So the weed nightshade can be a problem in beans. What about in your corn crop? I notice you have some mighty tall weeds called pigweed or palmer amaranth along the end of the rows. What kind of problems will that weed create? Two of them, probably main ones. The one problem is there's some resistance to Roundup that's a problem for us. And finding a chemical that doesn't hurt the corn that will kill the weed. The other problem is, is for instance, the 1st of August, this weed wasn't here where we're at right now. It's a very fast-growing weed, and it came on late in the year after we were done spraying. So one of the problems, our concerns, is how, how to get to it, how to spray it. Because uh, we were you know, typically done spraying probably the middle of July or before that even, and this weed about the 1st of August started growing, and it must have grown a couple inches a day. I mean, it just is a fast-growing weed and came real late, so become more of a timing problem anything for us a little bit because the corn's already tall. The corn was already canopied and closed, and, and the weed grew, grew after that, so a, we have a little bit of an inability to get in there late to do that after the corn's all up and everything, but... Uh, We've been talking with Jeff Pohl of Bridgeport about his dry bean and corn crops, and the challenges with weeds he's facing. For more Fridays in the Field, check out the podcasts at kneb.com backslash ag hyphen podcasts or watch all the video interviews from this series on ruralradio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. 
Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. We're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Today in Grain, it looked like soybean meal was a big leader. Yeah, soybean meal. So price action really led, you know, we've been short meal, long oil. Oil's got a nice story uh, due to some other factors that are going on in the WTO and uh, just some things that are kind of inside baseball and the biofuel movements. But oil has had a nice run-up, and that's brought some fun positioning in there. And I think on the close here, we saw oil really break and meal rally. I think you're seeing some of these funds shift back into that long meal position here, uh, which is, is very friendly for beans. We want to see a meal-led rally in the soy complex. That uh, That is usually the best-case scenario for beans going higher. Um, November soybeans, 985, highest close we've had since mid-July. Um, and... You know, to be honest with you, it's it's a substantial resistance point here around 990. If we pop through that, 1030s in the cards, and we could get there rather quickly. But I would be careful to tell everybody there are big USDA reports coming down the pipeline here. You've got the USDA grain stocks report a week from today, and that's a quarterly report, so it's kind of a where surprises can pop out, and then you have the WASDE on uh, the 12th of October. So between now and the middle of October, I expect a lot of gyrations here. I don't think we're going to go straight up or straight down. Let's look at December corn and uh, maybe busting through another support level sometime. Yeah, you know, corn, corn's a lagger here. It doesn't really have the demand story that the beans do. Um, you know, I think you get some better yield reports, some more bullish yield reports when we start the harvest uh, in earnest up here. We're starting to get things going, but still, moisture's, I think, a little higher than a lot of guys want. Uh, and given that the temperatures are going to be in the 90s the rest of the weekend, I think they maybe let it dry out a little further before it starts shelling. Um, early yield reports is well known, you know, better than, better than expected, worse than they were a year ago. I think we'll probably keep the USDA numbers right around these, these, uh, you know, these estimates for the short term. And then it's about these grain stocks reports. And that's why this next week will be a big deal. Uh, the grain stocks is where you can kind of, I don't want to say, expose the USDA as liars, but it's kind of show the, you know, if the accounting will add up, if those estimates are true. You know, the grain stocks reports, and and when when years were really tight back in 2012, that's where we would get our huge surprises, and all of a sudden, you know, yields were worse than they thought, and and grain had just simply disappeared in in a quarterly basis. So um, next Friday, 11 a.m., that's going to be a big one. I think you get yourself set up here on these rallies with some protection ahead of that. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. And we didn't discuss wheat. Wheat closes lower for Chicago, slightly higher for Kansas City, but a nice rally for Minneapolis spring wheat futures. Dewey Nelson reporting.